and gentlemen, welcome to Eat, Sleep, Suplex, Retweet. Hello everyone, welcome back to East Meets West, on the Eat, Sleep, Suplex, Retweet podcasting feed. The G1 Climax may be one of the best times of the year for, you know, your pure Japanese wrestling fans, but if you're people who cover the goings-on in New Japan Pro Wrestling, it also means it's one of the most stressful or busiest times of the year, because then you need to figure out how the fuck we're going to cover all of all the shit that went down in a short amount of time, because Dean Wilson doesn't let us do 12-hour podcasts around here. So I am one of your folks, Scott McLeod, get your breakdown, everything going on, going on here, and I am joined by my partner in crime, Grant McRobbie. Hello, Grant. Hello, Scott. It's, it's a good time to be back after uh, pretty much the biggest G1 they've had yet to date, and mm-hmm. in some ways, potentially one of the most crazy ones. <laughs> yeah, yeah, without a doubt, there's a lot to try and, and break down uh, with this G1, a very unique one, the first time since uh, the year 2000, where they've done a four-block format. If you look back at the history of the G1, We've they've had times where they've done it into multiple blocks, so they've done the two blocks, but not done the traditional ten that we've come accustomed to. And what made this G1 feel different for the past couple of years is the borders were open once again. We got some talent from AEW and New Japan Strong and elsewhere. But let's, let's just dive right into it, Grant about this this four block this four block format. You know, we were intrigued by it when it came around the idea of them trying something different. You know, going back to an old idea, but an execution. How did you find this this format? The execution uh, was messy. I'll be honest. <laughs> I, it was made, I I still enjoyed it, but what I didn't like was the whole idea that like someone could be like three matches in while the other person only had one match. I felt it kind of affected the dynamic of the tournament in a lot of ways compared to your usual one for one for one for one for one. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and it was confusing because there'd be people who would be on the G1 shows like in tag matches but not have like a first actual G1 block match until a good week or so into it and then come like the final week of the, the tournament they got days where they need to go back to back because then they get to their block matches because everyone has to wrestle the same number of matches. So, you know, I think... You know, watching through on the English country, Kevin Kelly and Chris Trotton did try and put a good spin on it, the idea that, you know, they're still getting the reps in because they're still wrestling tag matches, but, you know, it's a heavy like, amount of competition. You end the block matches and the time off, you know, it's a new way for the athletes to prepare rather than going consistently in block matches like they would be in the regular G1. So I think you can see what they were trying to do, but, you know, in more ways than one, you know, it was a case of, like, you tried it, Good for you, but maybe don't try it again for a while. Try another 22 year. I I definitely hold off on it for a while. Um, I, I think I would have much rather just had them do like the same amount of people, but larger A block and B block. Or just, yeah. you know, make it work in a way that you don't end up with this mad, ah, you've done two, but I've only done one. Haha, I have more stamina. Get it, Rinji. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, I mean, I wouldn't be well, against, like you said, like extend the number of entrants, but just add more people to the A and B block. Because I don't know about you, you know, some of these tag matches that they would do it wasn't always the traditional, you know, oh, I'm wrestling you on this night, so you and a partner be me and a partner. Like, 
people from opposite stables fighting each other. You'd have guys in tag matches who weren't even in the same block as the other guy. And I don't know about you, but more often than not, I was looking at some of these matches and thinking, why aren't these people in the same block? Like, why isn't Tom Law in the same block as a Zach Sabre Jr. or a, you know, a, a Shingo Takagi and people like that? Oh god, yeah, like, like because that's it. You had these kind of wild ideas for like, as, as you say, it's not just putting the standard. Ah, you're in a block. Ah, let's give them a little preview. It's like, no, let's put something random. Tom Waller mm. was a fucking gift, and I'm still gutted I didn't get him <laughs> in ZSG. Oh, I mean, we don't get to cover much New Japan Strong and the US uh, stuff that they put out as regularly as we would like to over here because there's just so much going else going on on a monthly basis in Japan. Uh, you know, it kind of falls by the wayside, but you know, if they book that for the next like major show, like they announced that New York show, if they book ZSGV Tom Lawler, or if they're willing to fly Tom Lawler over to the UK for Royal Quest, then well, that's uh, making a priority of checking out that match. Oh, god, yeah, I'm I'm totally behind Tom Lawler and his jorts. <laughs> his jorts. <laughs> one match, one match he had, he had like three pairs of jorts on and a cup, you know, but he also, you know. Much like Ned Flanders' approach, he made it look like he was wearing nothing at all. Nothing at all. Zach Sabre Jr. is walking back to his stupid sexy lawler. Oh, uh, God, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> but like I said, mentioning people like Tom Lawrence said earlier, the uh, the borders opening back up. Uh, it feels like everybody who they brought in from like, you know, kind of through, either from the US side or through the Vendor, like your Lance Archer, your Jonas, people like that, it did feel like this year, you know, you know, it was a welcome change to see these people back and to see the imports kind of back in and they all kind of added something to their blocks. Yeah, I definitely feel that, like, whereas some people might have been disappointed they didn't get their Claudio Casknoys, they didn't get their Danielsons or Moxleys, um, which I think we discussed this before, wasn't always going to be viable because how can you take away all your main event players for a, a whole month-long tour of Japan? where they will mm. come back absolutely fucking knackered. Um, but the ones that they did bring in, yeah, huge, huge impact. Yeah, and like you remember like just shortly after the announcement of the G1 like participants we had Forbidden Door, and like Moxley was a long shot anyway, but as soon as it became clear that Moxley then had to be to beat Tanahashi to become interim champion on that show, then you definitely knew he wasn't going to go over because there's one thing really you're going over while still Ring of Honor pure champion. But like AEW's not going to send over their top guy for a month because then New Japan's going to want to lose to somebody and Tony Khan may not be willing to fit him in, fit in somebody to randomly come over to Rampage for a match. Now, having said that, he's fought fucking Mance Warner on a week's notice, so. <laughs> That's it. Anything can fucking happen. Let's face it. <laughs> I mean, I wouldn't be opposed to you know, one or two members of the Blackpool Combat Club coming over for Tag League, you know. Or, you know, get those borders back open for that tournament because you and I were talking about that's the next major tournament that's left on the main like, New Japan calendar and I said to you that I think the border is now being opened again and the relationship with these other companies that's going to help that tournament more than most because I think you know the COVID year in the one block format has hindered that more than anything else Yeah like, like the fact that like we're now back on our normal calendar like we're not like the last couple of years where it's like oh yeah we still have like three tournaments to go in the space of two months it's like no no we've <laughs> only got one left and let's face it like we, me and you have dream booked this already the likes of Aussie Open 
Blackpool Combat Club, House of Black, <laughs> FTR. Yeah. It's just dream matches. Yeah, because I was even arguing to you, like, are FTR even going to be, you know, the tag team champions by the time that comes around? Like, how much are they going to get to wrestle in Japan before the World Tag League? Because you got United Empire, Chase and Bali, uh, you know, making a claim for the tag titles, but then contrary mentioned on uh, the final night of the G1 that Bishamon, you know, they never got a proper rematch because they had the triple threat and then the title scene became, you know, between Chase and Valley and the United Empire, then FDR got involved, so Goto and Yoshashi never really got a fair shot to get their belts back. Aye, that's, that, that, like, that's it. They, they have left it wide open that they can go any number of ways. To me, I would keep FTR with the titles right up to it and have it go the good old-fashioned way with like FTR putting someone else over at Wrestle Kingdom. Yeah, and I don't think they'd really lose anything by that because you know I think it's inevitable that we'll finally get the W titles back, and I think you know I think they deserve more in their initial run because they really they were just holding on to it until they eventually have that match with the Bucks, so the Bucks could win them. Uh, you know, because I'm assuming they'll still be Ring of Honor tag champs or Triple A tag champs by that point, and you know who knows maybe they'll walk into Wrestle Kingdom with four sets of tag team titles. No, kind of like the Bucks did back in the day. That is exactly what I think is going to happen. Definitely. Mm-hmm. Yeah, mostly that's still a come in a few months. Then we'll go back to the G1, and you know, there was a lot of positives to take from this. You know, unique format. You know, it's something different. You know, you're. I'm willing to see how it goes, but I think if anything was going to showcase the potential negatives of this kind of format, it was how they booked the D block that absolute clusterfuck that was the D-Block, uh, or as Kevin Kelly and Chris Shelton decided to name it Operation Chaos, where it came so close, far closer than it should have, to a potential seven-way tie. I know, I I like, I think I, mes- I messaged you about that, and I was like, I think we're facing a seven-block tie in D-Block, and I just, it was like, the prayer circle was going, it's like, come on, big Ujiro, fucking keep it alive. <laughs> and he I fucking know. did. Oh, like Yujiro and Yoshihashi suddenly becoming potential contenders because uh, that, that was the thing like where some people would be automatically or mathematically eliminated early on in a 10 block format you know with, with only one or two wins they're still mathematically in there when they've still got they still got one or two matches to go because of the, the short number of matches you might have you only get like six matches in a seven block format but as much as you, a wrestler, may not train all, the, all these years to be the guy who has to take falls in a big tournament like this, but you know we must not underestimate the value of having people who are there to take falls. And I don't know why Yujiro and Yoshiashi suddenly needed to get ideas about their station in this block. <laughs> I know. Well, I think at the end of it, like I read it, and I'm pretty sure Yoshihashi had like either a 4 or a 4.25 star match, and I was like, what were they, man? What's happened? Am I alive? Am I in a coma? I know. The weirdest thing that happened since we've been covering this, like from the pandemic era onwards, is the sudden evolution of Yoshihashi from guy with pointless background guy with you know who carries a staff to guy who wins matches and carries a staff. And still always perpetually looks lost while he's doing it. <laughs> he does, yeah. And still has one of the worst finishers in wrestling. <laughs> Looking at you, Butterfly Lock. But yeah, it just came out of nowhere. I'm pretty sure both Yujiro and Yoshihashi 
out of nowhere got wins over David Finlay, who at one point looked like he was going to win the block, and then with like two days of block competition to go, you know, if he'd beaten Noshiashi, David Finlay would have won D block outright. And they're like, no, we need to keep people guessing right up until the final night. Then they had Yoshihashi beat him. I was like, wait, what's going on? What is this? Like, like what D-block, year I'm, is this? I'm pretty sure anyone that does like maths and statistics, like D-Block, they, they suddenly go from, oh yeah, I love statistics, I love spreadsheets, to, nah, fuck this. <laughs> you know, David and Stephen, you know, the nerds that did a math degree, like, I know the David doesn't watch much New Japan, but test him. You're like, oh, I love numbers, really. Try and fart, figure out this D-block. David, go on, I tell you. I would actually love to see it, because I'm pretty sure if you were to give this to either Dave or Steve and they were trying to explain it, it would pretty much turn into like a really shit version of Steiner math. <laughs> so you're, you see, you're big, you take, huge. <laughs> <laughs> see, normally you go into G1 with a 10 men, you got maybe a 10% chance of winning. But then you're automatically go up when you're only seven of you. Then you go in against, well, that's where you're seeing the Kagi, automatically go down. But all of a sudden, Yoshihashi starts winning matches. Your eyes even go further down. You and take your 10%. Add, <laughs> <laughs> so you take your 10%, add on a 33 and a third percent chance. The numbers don't lie, and they spell disaster for you at Budokan Hall. <laughs> I don't know what the fuck they were thinking with that block because like it seemed clear enough in the other blocks uh, where it's just this one they'd say well fuck it because <laughs> maybe they thought when they built it like okay it looks like it will come down to Shingo and Wall Street which it kind of did in terms of who was going to go through but it's like let's not make it as obvious as it looks <laughs> let's try and throw some doubt in there by I think Gato booked a few surprises and then suddenly realised how mathematically weird that would be so decided to embrace the chaos rather than fix it I was like, wait, what the fuck are you doing? It's like, ah, oh, no, 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 we're too far in. Let's just run with it. Let's just go with it. You know, you swerve into the chaos. It's like, oh. shouldn't we be going away from this? No, 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 no. Continue. <laughs> Keep going. Uh, so it, it created a confusing kind of situation. We'll try and break it down when we talk about these finalists because. The four block finals ended up being Okada coming out on top of the A block, which many people could have already figured uh, going into the tournament. Tamatonga upset Jay White on the final night of block action to win the B block. Tetsuya Naito won the C block. And Will Ospreay through a lot of brain testing, you know, tiebreakers managed to win the D block because he beat. You know, you could because David Finlay, who had a tiebreaker over both Will and Shingo, uh, lost to Yoshihashi, he was kind of out of it. So it came down to case of if Will wins his match against Juice Robinson, which he did, and Shingo lost to ELP, then Will would go through. So, you know, if Will had lost, then Shingo would have went through automatically, or Shingo just had to win his match with ELP. But because ELP, again, another shock we'll talk about later on, beat Shingo Takagi while Osprey went through. So Will Ospreay, Naito is this is the one semi-final and Tama versus Okada is the other semi-final. Out of those four semi-finalists, you know, what are your thoughts, Grant, on these four as your semi-finalists? You know, which one of them is the most shocking to you? Tama. Tama was totally the most shocking to me. I was like, but it does technically make sense at the end of it, but it still didn't make it any less shocking when it actually happened. I was like, because Tama seemed to be in a bit of a 
a losing streak for a while. You know, he got the Never title, he lost it in the first defence to Carl Anderson. Um, his, his whole sort of face turn has been really quite dramatic, I think. But when when he actually when he pulled off the upset against Jay White and leading to, I don't know if you've seen it, but possibly my favourite ever Jay White post match promo. <laughs> I don't believe I did see this, please. Uh, I think I saw part of it uh, where he's just he's trying to do his all today to Jay show, but he's just he can't muster up the strength. Oh, no, it was it was literally just like it was like thirty seconds of him just on his knees going. Fuck! 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 He just starts screaming "fuck" over and over for about thirty-two seconds, and goes, "Right, let's get out of here." <laughs> Sometimes you just need a good scream. You know, it's cathartic. You know, get that out of your system. Oh, it was absolutely amazing! I was just, I was like, "Yep, this is promo of the year." And you know, it, it was interesting the way that lined up for the semis because. You know, Tama wasn't just like somebody being set up to lose to Okada. It was a case of, you know, yeah, he's beating the champion, which creates entry, but also you're reminded that last year's and last year's G1, you know, because Tama was Jay White's only blemish in the tournament this year, and last year he was Okada's only blemish in the G1 tournament, so he's beaten Okada before, and then Okada got his win back. So it's a case of Tama's capable of getting upsets when it really matters so you're kind of almost saying like are they going to ride this whole redemption of Tama to get back at Jay White all the way again have him go through the Tokyo Dome the answer was no <laughs> it's like no lol Okada wins <laughs> Okada wins lol and also Naito Osprey Osprey who like fair enough you could all him or Shingo you could see going through and then we didn't think it would go to the confusing you know mind puzzle of breaking down the tiebreakers that it ended up being but Naito facing Osprey I was shocked to hear from Osprey that this would be a, a first time ever meeting between these two because I feel like everybody kind of in the main heavyweight division through tournaments like the G1 has faced each other at least once but you know no no a genuine first time ever match in your semi-final yeah I couldn't believe that I was like wait these two have never met one-on-one before that that can't be and I went and googled it. I was like nope it's right, they have never met one-on-one before and they did not disappoint. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and it was. It, it even seemed like even seemed like you know, Naito wouldn't even get any close to the final because he took two big losses early on in the tournament. He lost to Koto in his first match and then lost to Tanahashi and then it was a case of he's, he's fighting to to make up the, the numbers he's fighting to from underneath He's like, oh, he's still alive, he's still alive. He managed to get through Evil, because <laughs> if he lost to Evil, that would have been game over for him. Uh, he went through, got through Evil and finally got to the final night of the block where he took on Zack Sabre Jr. And you want to talk about meltdowns. <laughs> Nigel pinned Zack in like two and a half minutes and Zack threw the most epic, you know, forget his Boris Johnson flip out, just tops that. He's throwing chairs around, he's wearing one around his head, he's smashing tables, he's yelling that he's going to wear a night as a suit when after he skins him, which I love Chris Chatton commenting, that's not very vegan. I was like, that was unreal. I think one of those beautiful things though is Naito absolutely trolling him in the ring when he's like losing his shit outside the ring and he's hitting a chair down and Naito's copying him in the ring. <laughs> I was like, oh that is ultimate top tier shithousery by Naito, I love this. <laughs> He's just going, and then he, he's backstage going, he's still carrying the chairs, he's still got one around the head, like, fucking Naito! 
the skinny rock weighs us out. <laughs> and he tears down the, the, the big background they've got with all the logo like, what's even behind here anyway? Just tears it all down. And just he just sits down and just starts repeating the word fuck over and over again like I was like I was supposed to get my shot in the UK. I fucked it. It's it's still unreal as well, like because Zack Sabre Jr. was involved in like two of like fairly like the shortest matches in the tournament with that and Night and the absolute comedy gold that was him vs evil. Oh the and that image you sent me of like Zach's face from behind the popping out from behind the curtain while he's got a hold of, of Dick Togo's arm. Cause he sent one of the poor young lions out there and he was oh you were uh, dressed this time with his head down, he gets battered by evil and they say like, wait a minute, this isn't Zach. And they go looking for him and he gets a hold of Dick Togo and he pops his head through with a big smile on his face. Oh, that's good. That was pure comedy gold. And then like, they went to a match that went for 44 seconds. Ah, uh, kind of <laughs> my favourite kind of match. But yeah, I mean, it's nice to see an evil match go so short, but yeah, it was funny to see how that happened. Yeah, 44 fucking seconds. I think they even said the shortest match officially in G1 history. I <laughs> <laughs> oh, like the shortest match in G1 history, and it doesn't belong to Tits. Uh, and Toriano was not involved at all. Oh God, Toriano! What a, what a standout as well, just for that that exchange with Tom Lawler. DVD, mm-hmm. DVD, Sister <laughs> Act One and Two. Sister <laughs> <laughs> Act One and Two. There was. This track was number one for three weeks in Japan, according to Chris Shelton. He opens up the Niles DVD, which is uh, a pay-per-view which will be available at the end of the month on New Japan World, of a glamping trip that the guys from Chaos took. Uh, and he opens up, there's no DVD inside it. And he's so very upset. disappointed. <laughs> well, Okada, I know we say Okada wins all by everything, but he went through a fair you know, block. He was then using the, the monster block. He got to fight Tom Lawler. He fought Yano, who went back to his old, kind of more vicious ways for that one match. And then he fought, obviously, the big guys. He fought Lance Archer from the final night. And he took a clean loss to Jonah in the G1 in the main event. And Jonah even got on the main guard and said, this tonight is one year to the day I got released from WWE. And look at me now. I know that that match between Okada and Jonah was was absolutely stunning because I, I felt for a while that like Jonah's been released and uh, it, it was on such a wave of momentum when he was released for WWE and I feel that he's not quite always capitalised on what he could be but that statement when over Okada, it's kind of like when Cobb beat Okada before, it really makes the big man stand out mm-hmm. Yeah and like the fact that Lance Archer seemed like a threat to Okada even up until the final night, I was talking to Ross about this. Like the people who get lost in the shuffle in, in AEW uh, because other people get signed and you know, there's not enough room for everybody. You know, well, we, you and I talked about it when the G1 finalists were were announced. Fucking Lance Archer's name pops up and there's a loud oh from the crowd because you know they remember how much a monster he was and. In New Japan before, and then like there's a sense because he beat Jonah via count out, quite a few count outs randomly in this tournament. Uh, Jonah took two losses by by count out, uh, 
but then he thought, oh God, an FVP, oh God, an Archer would have went through. So, you know, it's kind of night and day compared to what he was doing in AEW because you and I were talking, like, other than his match with Highman back in February, I don't know what else he's done this year in AEW. Well, other than landing in his fucking head. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, other than was, that, yeah. No, no I'll actually, I'm going to point this out because I felt it was, it's not technically a wrestling moment, but Archer, see every night that he appeared on commentary. Mm-hmm. He's fucking brilliant. He knows what oh, he's yeah. talking about. He's actually quite funny as well. Yeah, I love the, this revolving door of commentators that Kevin Kelly had on the nights that during the block matches on nights where Chris Charlton couldn't make it to the shows. So he had him, he had Jonah one night, he had Tom Waller a couple of times, and he also had El Fantasmo. You know, a couple of guys, you know, being around odds and everything, but I like that like Jonah kept character because he kept slagging everybody off. And then ELP was just was just at the wind up. Like ELP was ultimate shithousery. Like just winding up everyone. It's like, no, no, don't hit me. I'm on commentary. <laughs> <laughs> there was one night where he was sitting there in a big, big red, like Hawaiian style show, like something Magnum PLI would wear. And he's eating pizza. Like, I got to bulk up, you know, I'm wrestling heavyweights. Every so often, someone would come over uh, to the contrary, but so Kevin Kelly could get some comments on them. And he's like, I had a slice of pizza. Uh, and I love the fact that Archer just grabbed one and just took it with him. I know, it's just like, yep, that'll do me. Thank you very much. And he's like, okay, I'm not going to fight you. <laughs> but uh, moving over to d talking about Osprey again, how did you see this guy going? Did you think it was a kind of a two-horse thing between him and Takagi? Because, you know, I'd heard some people going into the tournament, you know, because Osprey was like three and three with six points. So he kind of just went by through, the, through like tiebreakers and everything. But I heard people going into the tournament who expected him to go like with no losses throughout his block. So I think he was a, a far departure from what some people were expecting. Yeah, it was it was a, it was the departure. I thought there was going to be a bit more dominance, but I, I still think Osprey going through was clearly the right call because they did have big plans for him, and he was one of the people that got attacked with the curse of the new belt. Mm-hmm. Um, and they clearly still have big big intentions and big plans for him, and just. Perhaps they've just made the choice at the moment. We're going to it's like let's hold off there, but you know let's let's get the glimpse through and Osprey's story with like the US title throughout the belt that he should actually have, and it took him like half the tournament before he got the fucking thing in his hands. <laughs> yeah, because like oh, yeah, uh, James Robinson with it constantly doing his own announcements because the referee the because the ring announcer wouldn't announce him as IWGP US champion. Then Finley beat James Robinson and actually took the belt from him and basically said to Osprey, I'll give you the belt back. And then he beat Will Osprey, gave him the belt back and Osprey kind of for a little while looked walked around just so defeated, like, I just got my belt back, but I'm losing. I might not win the block. And then he finally started winning again. And then like two nights before they were meant to fight in the final night, uh, just Robinson and the belt club attack him and steal the belt back. So he had to get it back again on the 16th. Just came out like, where's my fucking belt? And Dante just said, hide it under the ring. Oh, honestly, God, it was just top tier, top tier shithousery involved in that US belt. And, you know, it, it, it feels like the US belt could come back to relevance again now that we've got it in the kind of realm of talent that is constantly there. Yeah. Yeah, I was like, you know, Osprey's got some like solid challengers now set up through this tournament and through the, the block with this whole story of the belt jumping back and forth between different people's possession. Uh, but looking at the, the four. 
blogs. I'm going to take a talk about this before we go on to we go on to the the semis and that. I want to talk about the the two the four people who scored the lowest in their respective blocks. So the lowest score in A block was Toriano with just two points. He only got one win. I think that was over Jonah by Kernow. Tomohiro Ishii got four points in the B block. He's the lowest score. He's kind of tied with Chase Owens and Great Okan, but he's listed at the bottom. Aaron Hanari only got two points, but those two points did come over Tanahashi. And Juice Robinson on four points in the D block. But the fact he started off his tournament by getting a win over Shingo Takagi, his only other win came via DQ over El Fantasmo. So, you know, other than Toriano, the other three seem fairly surprised in terms of you know how lowly they scored. Yeah, it was it was quite a quite. A, I think as well, well, we we're never going to get massive scores with each guy only getting six matches. But you know, other than like a couple of bits, it's, it was just it was quite a wild ride when it came to the the scores and. Ishii got done dirty. I'm saying it. Oh, yeah. He lost to Chase fucking Owens. Chase Owens beat Tomohiro Ishii cleanly as well. Where is this coming from? In the last calendar year, Chase Owens has pinned Tanahashi cleanly, won a tag belt, and then beat Ishii in the G1 and scored above him in that same tournament. Like, again, what is with Gato? Who's who's paying him? This might, like, it was one thing when he had that bone of evil because Dick Togo was probably in his ear, but what is it with these other people? Uh, it was just totally wild. And apparently, like, I read, um, it's a rumour, one that I hope is not true, but this was apparently going to be Ishii's last G1. I was like, don't you fucking dare say that. Oh, yeah, I'm pretty sure Chase got to be on commentary at one point as well. But yeah, like they were even asking on, on commentary, like, are they going to have to ask some questions themselves? You know, well, the door's open and all these other talent want to come in. Is this going to be his last you won? Because he was he was this close to only going with one, getting one win in the tournament, but he managed to get a win on the final night of block against Sanada, even though both of them were kind of mathematically eliminated anyway. He kind of he got he finished on four points at least. Uh, Just Robinson, I was surprised about because the first night, his first match and the second night overall of the the G1 tournament, he beats Shingo Takagi, and it feels like oh like he may not win but it'll be a strong showing for just because he's in this new heel persona of setting him up as a potential to become officially the US champion and everything, and then he just kept losing. Just kept I mean he lost to Finley which made sense and then he lost to to Yujiro, he lost to ELP, you know, he beat ELP via DQ, and then, yeah, like, you could just see him walking away from match at one point, like, so defeated, like, I lost to Yoshihashi, like, how far have I fallen since I got that belt <laughs> next past me? I, I honestly, like, the fact that he beat ELP by DQ, and it was just, the story in that was was one of my favourites, like actually just frustrating Phantasmo to the point that he goaded him and using the chairman. Phantasmo done it, he was like what have I it was it was like Anakin. What have I done? <laughs> it's that celebration like, oh no just he's real gen, mate, he's real gen. Uh and Aaron Hanari, like I probably expected him maybe you know maybe the lower scorer of, of his block given like he's got you got Tanahashi, Goto got like four former world champions 
in this, and then you got Zach and Kenta, who are always contenders. So he was kind of the odd man out, but just randomly, the first night of the tournament, it, it seems like the first night, the first couple of nights going forward, again, just have random people beating a big star out of nowhere. Because he just beat Tanahashi. Just no build, nothing. Just like, oh, he just beat Tanahashi. And then afterwards, like, loss, 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 loss. Another loss. I know, it's it's really unreal. It's like, oh yeah, we're going to have like you beat one of the biggest stars that we've got. So I'm going to beat everyone else. No. Not even close. <laughs> it's just odd that because you like, he beats Tanahashi. Tanahashi immediately bounces back, beating the likes of Naito and Evil and a very competitive match with competitive matches with Zack and, and Goto. Like, it's just like, yeah, like, oh, you, you, you what an upset when you lost to Hanari. And actually just look at walking around like, oh, that didn't face me. I'll actually win this tournament. I, absolutely unreal. Hundred <laughs> percent. But then we go into the actual semi-final matches of Osprey versus Naito and Tamatonga versus Okada. The addition that Okada Tamatonga was first, maybe they thought that this match was more predictable than the other one, so they put this one on first. And I liked how, you know, how close it came for, for Tam at points, but it was obvious that Okada was going to win. And then Naito Osprey kept me guessing it the whole way through. Is he wasn't one of my he wasn't the person I most wanted to win going into it, but one of the also person I had on the terms of like favourites you'd have going into the tournament, I think. Like yeah, Naito's always a contender. And then I heard people talking about it, like yeah, Naito's turning forty this year and he he's before claimed that oh when I'm like in my early forties I might hang it up. So I think oh it might be the tell us the way this is his last shot and everything. And then when he was when they were showing the story of him like losing two First two matches, then having to battle back to get through the block. Like, okay, Nitro's definitely winning this this G one, which. So I was going in there thinking, yeah, he's probably going to beat Osprey, and then Osprey just clattered him with that hidden blade and pinned him. I was like, oh shit. <laughs> I mean that that Nitro and Osprey match was just brutal. It's like I was like, clearly Nitro still has no regard for his own well being, even though he's not got his like worst encourager there in the form of Abushi. He's like, ah, Abushi's not here, but. I can still try kill myself through the ring. Let's do this. I mean, well, Osprey, he, he's dropped himself on his own head multiple times. He's injured his neck. It's a man who's just in, who's in the ring just months after the, after he nearly died. He'll he, he'll he'll fill this abyssal shaped hole in my life. Because <laughs> the kids like yeah, they've never faced each other before, but it's good. But now they're like making up for a lost time because they're just throwing everything at each other. And you know, looking back at it in hindsight. Part of me is glad that that Naito didn't win uh, this match and go through at the final because that would mean the fourth Naito Okada match we've had to talk about in as many months. And as I said to you last time they fought, I'm like, as I said to you last time they fought, I'm kind of, I'm kind of willing to wait a good, 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 good few years before having to watch that again. Yeah, it's one of those matches that don't get me wrong. When they get together, they usually go all out and make it really fucking special. But didn't water it down like the old Cena Orton stuff. Cena yeah. Orton, 276. Like, please no, please no, not again. This time we're having an Iron Man match. Fuck off, make it end. <laughs> but yeah, uh, Osprey winning, I, I felt, I felt was a was a good was a good call. Like using the hidden blade more as a finisher 
It yeah. makes sense. You get elbowed in the back of the head like that, yeah, you're fucking dead. Yeah. So I think it was in the night of that for the first time during the whole tournament, uh, he managed to successfully hit the Stormbreaker as well. He'd, he'd been able to rely on the head and blade as a finisher. Because like, he's, uh, like, he's fucking lethally concussed Abushi the first time he ever used it. So, you know, it's like a believable, deadly finisher. And so that took Will Osprey on to fight Okada in the next, uh, the next night in the finals. Didn't seem like a massive loss to Tamatonga for losing because, you know, he's beat Jay White. He's already secured himself a world title match. So we had Nike, we had Okada versus Will Osprey. And Osprey, well, I thought it was a hell of a promo, both in the ring and in his backstage comments. Not about how he's accomplished everything. There, there is to do it, except for one thing when the G1 go on to Wrestle Kingdom in the main event because he's already like main evented before but he's not won the G1 to get there and also he's not beaten Okada cleanly the last time he the only time he ever beat Okada he had a great Okada interfering for him to launch the United Empire so as Chris Allen said these are two things he's been wanting to do for a long time and now he needs to do one to, to achieve the other and if they go into it with like six and one in Okada's favour, I know Osprey's like, I'm going to take this company out of the dark ages. We can't keep going back to people like Okada. Okada won. <laughs> it's now seven and one in Okada's favour. Like, you know, Wrestle Kingdom, we thought maybe they'll do it here because, you know, it'd be weird, to, predictable to have Okada win in the Tokyo after beating Shingo. No, he won over Osprey again. Like, okay, everyone's really making a point about it. Maybe now we'll finally get the win. Nope. Like, how many more times does Okada need to win before Osprey gets his back? Because I know he's won once, but again, they made the point it wasn't clean. And the more the numbers go up in Okada's side of this of this equation, the less and the less meaning the ones on Osprey's side go have. Yeah, th- this is very much similar to the whole. Remember the Okada Sanada situation when it's like Sanada got the win over Okada, and it's like, yeah, yeah like it's. I think their record is something like seven and two or seven and three, and I'm like, for fuck's sake, man, throw him a bone, give him a chance. <laughs> I, you see the bit of Will Osprey cutting that great promo as well. I for we we forgot to bring up that that other great Will Osprey po- promo. I can't remember who he was talking, but it was someone with lots of nicknames, and he just goes, "What? So these nicknames? I'm dyslexic. You can't." <laughs> and I, uh-huh. I actually had to watch that promo back about 10 times because I just kept on laughing more and more every time we're coming in with a thick Essex accent and he sticks it you can't <laughs> it's like did he actually just say the C word there in the promo <laughs> yes he did I can't remember who he was talking about but he said one of the nicknames like, like what, is that, what does that even mean I'm dyslexic you can't <laughs> I don't even know was he even expecting that oh Honestly, I could not believe it. I was like, "What? What have I just? What have I just watched?" This promo is short, sweet, and absolutely beautiful. <laughs> I mean, I remember going into it. And like, I tried to not think that okay, it was going to be the predictable Kada wins of the G One and everything, but you know, I was finding it hard to believe that Osprey would win because you know, Osprey G like heel v heel in a Wrestle Kingdom main event doesn't seem like the traditional New Japan way of doing things, and it just seems to be it like. When when Gato Munson advances writing out his plan for the for the Wrestle Kingdom you know, card and he goes to the main event, something takes over his hand and he's 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 forced with the thing like don't must write Okada's name into main event. <laughs> must book Okada in top spot at the dome. 
It's okay, I just cheek in the back at oh yeah, by the way, I'm not defending this. Like, uh, yeah, by all means, I'll have special singles matches and that in the lead up to Wrestle Kingdom, but I'm not putting my spot at Wrestle Kingdom in the line. I'd like, beg your fucking pardon. What makes you so fucking big about it? Then to go, and, to go and trash the KOPW, which he made, because he didn't have a title at the time, so needed it something. It was your idea, you prick, which you've not been able to actually win. You, you're in the four-way, you lost, you got pinned by Yarrow, and you've not went back to it since. Exactly. This is absolute horseshit. <laughs> <laughs> this is complete and other bullshit. Right. No, but, and plus, it's bad enough, like, you had that, you had him slag, the new version of the title, and like, no, I don't want a briefcase, I want to go around with the old version, and then seemingly, because somebody backstage told him, listen, we're not bringing the old one back, we spent money on this new bill, they fucking hold the new bill and endorse it. So you get a reluctant and went, I will carry this, this belt with pride. I will make this new belt into something. Because apparently I need, I have to. And then I'm pretty sure in the past he's been like, oh yeah, really, really at this point anything below the world belt uh, is lesser to me. But he's busy in the past slagged off the secondary belts in, in New Japan. So we're in a situation because of how heavily they, they booked him out of the gate of his coming back from his excursions case. So like, okay, okay, it's in the main event now. And we're fucked because we can't give him any belt lower than that because... Fans will see it as an emotion. Apparently, so will fucking he. <laughs> Honestly, I, I was just like, I was like, why do they keep booking themselves into such a fucking difficult corner? Why do this to yourselves? Why? He's he's becoming like the spoiled child of, of New Japan as Okada. You know, like I bet him talking to Gato about how many points he was going to get in the G1 is like Dudley for Harry Potter one about the number of presents he got. You know, how many am I getting? 10 points, head of the block. 10 points, last last year I had 16. Yes, but it's a shorter block than last year. I don't know how many, I don't care how many people are in the block. I'm Okada, damn it. <laughs> yes, it's totally, it's just like, he's, he's literally the child that's crying to get his own way. Oh. He's, he's becoming fucking insufferable. You know, like, it's not just bad enough, like, yeah, he puts on solid matches and it's getting boring to see him, like, win all the time. But hearing what he says in, in press conferences and just, you know, he, come, he makes you root against him more because he just comes across as a bit like, I can say where the fuck I want these press conferences. Like, they're not going to do anything about it. This is proper, like, Lesnar, Cena, Prime booking where it's like, I can do what the fuck I want because if I kick up a tantrum, I'll get to keep the belt. Fuck you all. I know, Okada. Fuck you. I know Stephen Wilson will be so glad hearing me say those words, but yeah, I've got to say it. Fuck you, Okada. Enough said. Fuck enough. you. Oh. No, no, what? No, I hope Jay White fucking batters you. Out of the dome. I, fuck, I hope he fucking batters you. I hope he brings out everybody <laughs> in Bullet Club and they all individually get kicking in the fucking balls, honestly. Because, <laughs> you know, I remember what you going to say. You've got plenty of time now that the G1's in its regular spot, so you can give Okada a rematch before risking. You can give whoever beats Jay White in the tournament a, a shot before the, the dome. But really, this is a case of, oh, we need to book that Okada rematch, but we need to do it at the Dome. Why do we need to do it at the Dome? I assume because Okada must win belt back at the Dome. <laughs> it sounds like, I bet you sometimes, like, when they're, when they're like, where Okada, Okada comes out, like, the underpants gnomes in South Park, it's like, step one, win G1. Step two, question mark. Step three, win belt back at Dome. It's like, no, no, no. No, no, you don't get to fucking miss out that second point. What are you doing? <laughs> 
I know, and it's basically a, a fuck you to Jonah. Basically, like, yes, I, you know, beat me cleanly, but no, I know no songs as such do people think you would use that to go on to the rest of the kingdom and beat me for that briefcase. Because <laughs> I'm pretty sure Okada was okay with it before when nobody won the shots, but he's watched Jay White beat Obushi and he's like, they might try and pull a sword. I mean, Gero might actually have me lose that title shot. You know what, Gero, I don't feel like defending this. <laughs> It's like, no, no, I see what happened with this before. Uh, no, 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 Jonah fucking hurts. You'll beat me again, probably. It's like, damn fucking right, you will. You will fucking lie down, you will take that pin, you little bitch. I know, I was going to say, someone's just sitting there like, listen, you will defend that title shot against Jonah and you'll fucking like it. <laughs> I'm going to attack you. you you, you'll stop talking shit in the press, Okada, or I'll turn this car around, there'll be no Tokyo done for anyone. It's the fact that he's even had the cheek. It's like everyone else is back out, back out and touring that. Ah, uh, I've got a wee bit of paternity leave. My wife's just had a son, so I need some time off. Fuck you. That's not our problem. Fucking put something on the end of it. <laughs> Honestly. Oh, yeah. I, bet you, I bet you he wouldn't even put his own son over. <laughs> that, that, that kid is going to grow up like four or five years old doing sports with his dad and his dad is going to be one of those dads that's like absolutely whoops his ass at everything dad why don't you let go in you'll fucking learn to get over yourself you little bastard <laughs> the first time it looks like his son might beat him he's just going to drop kick him right in the face complete fucking missile drop kick boom <laughs> you're, like, you're just walking around like yes honey did you see that still got the best drop kick in the business why did you kick our son in the face He's only seven years old. He has to learn how to take a bump. He's only he's still half the age I was when I started taking bumps. He must learn he's a slow star. (laughs) Worst dad ever. (laughs) I love the kind of legends we create around these people in New Japan, you know. We're doing the retrospective later this year about bloody Great Okan we've you know, create this fictional world where he's potentially a porn star in his own right, and now we've, and now we've created this world where Okada is the worst father in the world, and he's only just had the fucking kids. All hail the great Okan, great Oshaga, all hail, all hail. <laughs> but, you know, little, don't let all this Okada passion take away from the fact that the the final versus Osprey was fucking sensational. Oh yeah. five stars and I'm like yeah no fucking wonder it did that was absolutely incredible despite the fact that I hate the result for who won every moment of that match was just fucking beautiful and I mean Osprey's no saying in real life as well you know I've in the past you know when he first won the title given he was still being surrounded by some controversy in real life I was going all in on the Japan decision to give him the belt and everything uh, but and basically saying fuck you Osprey every chance I could get but I even found myself at points where like Okada hits a tombstone or a version of the Rainmaker and I'm just yelling at my, my tablet as I'm watching like kick out kick out Osprey fucking kick out you bastard <laughs> it's like just don't you fucking dare yeah don't you fucking dare kick out like don't you fucking dare stay down and you had guys take, guys taking bumps on their necks on the fucking on the the apron, you had Osprey hitting a version of the the spinning tombstone. It was just 
Like it was just basically like they're pulling literally everything they could possibly do. Osprey was doing his flips again on the outside. And okay, they're again acting like a dick, you know, Darren Osprey hit him, so Osprey just guts him across the face. As he deserves. As he rightly deserves. But Osprey, one of his major faults was talking about the people who'd beat Okada before, who he'd been watching tape of the night before. And so he hits a Styles Clash at one point. It's a V-trigger, but gets too much into it. He goes for a, a one-line danger on that, losing susceptible to a landslide and the eventual Rainmaker finish. And, you know, Okada wins what is his fourth G1 uh, overall, and he's now alongside people like Bushi and Masahiro Chono, Chono, who was on commentary uh, alongside Tanahashi. He's now one of only a handful of people to win, you know, back-to-back G1s. So, you know, he's now only one away from tying Chono. It's, it's unreal. Cause, um, was it... There was, like, there was a few other records that got broken in that during this G1, and it's quite fucking incredible when you look at it. Yeah, I think, like, Okada surpassed, like, triple digits for, like, G1 matches, and I think people, like, they said that Tanahashi and Naito and Goro are in that same camp as well. Yeah, like, I, I'm pretty sure it was like Okada had hit over 100, and I was like, what? Well, yeah, I think about at least at least 10 matches since 2012, and then like every every they said every time he gets to a final, he wins it. So yeah, the final onto that. So you don't realize how much it adds up because he's in the G1 every fucking year since like 2012. Uh, and then they said the only other people who aren't wrestling today that were in, I think they mentioned uh, Nagata and people like that were Jono as well, had those kind of digits. And it's amazing. I think he said another few regular, but I don't know who, if it was Okada or Nigel, but like somebody surpassed like one of the all time like combined like match length, like combined match length time for the G1 as well at this tournament. Yeah, it's, it, it's actually unreal as well to like surpass like combined match time. When you have much less matches to do, and like, pardon, how, what? <laughs> it, it's it's just insane. But there you go. Okada wins the G one once again. Again, he's had fourteen overall. But you know, hope, let's live and hope that you know somebody new wins it next year. And by new, no new Japan, somebody who hasn't won it in about three or four years. <laughs> Oh god, it's it's been one of those. It's been it, it, it's it's been a good G one. Not gonna lie, it's it, it's better than what I expected. Yeah, we shouldn't take away from the overall G one. No, despite our frustrations about Okada, uh, it was a hell of a show. Uh, if it, if it wasn't Okada, would you like have this thing of like Osprey winning, or if you could kind of book it, who would you have had won the G one? I honestly, looking at the entire field and thinking everything through, I, well, let's face it, we know what the heart wants with me. The heart always wants Sonada. My boy. Always wants Sonada. But again, just not his time. Um, looking at the others, I, I really think to me, my my other two choices in mind, credibly, that I would have loved to win it were both in C-Block, and that was Kenta and Sabre. Mm. I yeah. think if either one of them won it, I would have been fucking over the moon, without yeah. a doubt. Basically, because the dissension in the club with Kenta J White at the dome, 
would have been absolutely sensational. Yeah, if I was going with my heart, the winner would either be Kenta or Shingo, because you know Shingo, I don't think he's got a fair crack at getting his belt back uh, after he lost it to Okada. So I think he did, he deserved to you know have a, a winner in a tournament like this and. Basically, Shingo, I'm going to, like I said before, every New Japan Cup and every G1, I'm going to say Shingo's the favourite in my heart to win it until he finally fucking wins one. Because <laughs> I don't think he's won a tournament. Like, even the, that one Super Juniors that he dominated most of, he didn't win. So I'm going to go Shingo with every tournament he's in until he fucking wins one. But also looking at the tournament before and then the way they kind of set out his journey, I wouldn't have been against a Naito versus uh, Jay White match. And the dough because you know the idea of like Nigel thinking he keeps wanting to be in the main event, but something either gets his way or when he does get it, he's subsequent reign is what he wants it to be. So having him versus Jay White in the main event because it would go back to two years ago where Jay White said it was my destiny to be the double champion, but he lost in the first night to Nigel, and Nigel ended up going on to do it. And so Jay White's finally in the main event as the champion, like he's wanted to be. Like for the last three years, but then Naito's there, like he's kind of a his last chance to have that moment in the dome. Yeah, I mean that's I I did also have the idea in my head of White actually winning the tournament and being able to be like, huh, I get to choose who goes after the title at, at Wrestle Kingdom, and guess what? It's fucking no one. Get it, Rundies. <laughs> and the reason I loved this idea in my head was because this is pure pure fantasy booking, outrageous fantasy booking. But I loved the idea of like White winning the G one giving it all the big licks at the end of winning it, saying, that's it, I'm taking Wrestle Kingdom off, get the oranges, and then all of a sudden, boom, the cleaner, Omega. Oh, I thought you were going to say like Ibushi or something comes in. Ibushi would be a good one as well, but just imagine it, imagine the actual fucking, like the pop. People would not give a shit if they weren't allowed to be vocal. That place would erupt. If Omega came out being like, well, you see you're taking Wrestle Kingdom off, but actually, no, you're not. I'm taking a crack at you. And I'm telling you now, but I'm not going to wrestle in New Japan until the dome because my body's still fucked. <laughs> uh, it's, uh, like, that, that was complete fantasy because I was like, yeah, there's no way like Omega would be. Well, technically, it could be ready for that in January, but obviously AEW will want them right back in. So I was like, yeah, that wouldn't happen. A man can dream. A man can dream. Yeah. See that or just the great old Shagger wins everything. Yes, all hail, all hail. All hail. So, <laughs> I mean, even seeing Ibushi coming out would be fantasy because there's all the stories going around that there are even people within New Japan who don't think he's ever actually gonna ever actually gonna come back. So you know, that ongoing saga continues. But Jay winning the tournament as champion, given like you said, there's history and there's precedent for this format of tournament and the champion winning it. And they even tease you right up to the end with like Jay going five and zero oh before his match with Tama and having some stellar matches as well. Even even against two zones, you know, as as much the great teeth as that is, the whole thing where he was going to pay Chase Owens off, and then Chase actually looks in the in the envelope, and half other than two of them, all the other bills are just blank. <laughs> yeah, and I'm I'm still. I'm still heartbroken over the, the Ibushi situation because just when it looked like things were getting better and they were going to get somewhere with it, they've done that whole press conference and then it's like, hold on, I never fucking agreed to this. It's like, oh, <laughs> God damn it. No, stop. 
Why can't we all just get along? Why can't we all just be friends? God damn it. I miss uh, that complete suicidal murderous bastard. <laughs> we we need all the ones eventually back trying to kill himself and kneeing people right in the fucking head. Is that too much to ask? I miss those cold dark eyes when he goes to that other place better than Randy Orton does. <laughs> oh, Jesus. Is it weird that Shibata is more likely to wrestle again in New Japan than Ibushi is at this stage? Yeah, it's, uh, that was rather alarming. Like, <laughs> <laughs> I know this man, you know, could have died. You know, his he had an issue with his brain. You know, you don't. That's the worst place to have a to have issues. That was bleeding and everything. And yet somehow he's still <laughs> going to have a match probably in New Japan before Ibushi is. <laughs> Twenty. One of the many reasons twenty twenty two is the weirdest fucking year so far, and that's saying something given what we've had the last few years. Absolutely unreal. <laughs> uh, you know, the English commentary throughout this tour was fucking sensational, not just with the, the recurring cast of you know, guest characters, but you know, one of the other weird events in 2022 was Vince stepping down finally. And when Kevin Kelly's going through potential people to give him the co host with him, he said, you know, I heard somebody's uh I heard somebody's got a quite a bad time on their hands. <laughs> and then both he and Chris Charlie goes, ah, good shit. Ah. <laughs> I love that. I, I, I honestly, I, I, when I first started, and I, no lie, like, wasn't too sure in him at the beginning. I was always like, he just seems kind of tacked on the end to throw in some useful statistics and information, but he always seemed a little bit shy. But as times went on and he's really, really came into it, him and Kevin has been an absolute, I never thought anyone could replace Don on Callis, but Chris Charlton has more than excelled in the role. All I need now is for Chris Charlton to make the same screaming noises as what Don Callis made when Suzuki tried grabbing him. <laughs> oh, I do. I do. Look, you can tell that he and Kevin are getting more comfortable together. I'm going to, and that's causing their their chemistry and their banter to be a lot more entertaining. Like, like that you know, Ken has got a book out. It's in Japanese, and so Kevin Kelly can't read it and. So Chris John keeps telling him, like, oh, yeah, you had that bit where he just says nothing but bad things about you. Like, what? <laughs> oh, yeah, there's a lot of Kevin Kelly bashing in that book. Oh, it's going to be, it's going to be class. <laughs> <laughs> also, like, Kevin Kelly making another WWE reference, because uh, he asked, uh, before the same phase, they asked him, what were you doing 22 years ago, which was the last time they did this four-block format? He goes, well, I was just finishing my GCSEs, Kevin. What's that? I think it's our equivalent of middle school. Uh, and Kevin Kelly goes, I was in the WWE. Well, WAF then. We hadn't gotten the F out yet. But then 2003, they told me to get the F out. <laughs> oh. Honestly, God. I, 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 these two are going to just like, just, I would honestly just happily sit and listen to them talk all day. Because they're, they're just funny. I don't know. You get a great mix of basically they, you know, they present you to you like, like not like it's real, but like they present to you in a very serious way with a lot of you know like real fight, uh, you know scenario. They give you all these like important like historical background statistics, and then they also make you push yourself laughing when you least expect it. So it's a hell of a duo to have on commentary. But let's go back to the G1. I you know outside of you know bashing people like Okada. Uh, 
talk to me about some of the other like standout matches and some people in this tournament that you really enjoyed watching. So, got a, got a few like um, I, I say a match that stands out to me and it goes right back to the beginning was um, El Fantasmo and Will Osprey. Mm-hmm. That match was outstanding because we had a serious ELP. He wasn't taking the piss. He wasn't trying to be wide. I feel throughout the whole tournament we got a different El Fantasma from what we've ever seen before. One that I think his days in Bullet Club are numbered. Mm. I I honestly I could I could see him I could see him leaving Bullet Club at some point between now and Wrestle Kingdom. There's just something about it, the shift within the the club and the way everything's moving around. So him and Osprey was a fantastic match. Um, I'd probably say my top match of the whole tournament. If I was if I was really nailed down to one. In particular, it would probably be um, Sabre and Kenta. That was unreal. Those two have got an insane chemistry with each other. Yeah, I, I, I always rooting for Kenta, no matter what. Often I'm disappointed, but I'll still root for Kenta, no matter what. Yeah. Much like Gina said, he's on a man rush more professional wrestling team. The only thing that'll make that Conte team complete is when Gino finally returns. So that day occasionally pops in, says a word, then runs off again. It's like, oh, oh, he's away again. Where did he come from? How did he do that? <laughs> uh, I mean, but yeah, I mean, like Sabre, Sabre Jr. and Kenta was a top one. Um, White and Ishii never failed to produce like, you know, it, it would be easy enough to just say the final, because let's face it, the final was probably the best match of the whole tournament, but they actually put on so many bangers. It's unreal. Mm. I know. And like, that's the mark of a good G1, you know, like at its peak, you know, in the last few years, uh, at, at its peak, that's is like match of the year contender after match of the year contender. And that's why, like, some people have been down on the last couple of years. The G1, even though there have been some stellar matches coming out of it. So, I, looking at it, you know, I also love ELP. <laughs> I love the weird mini story between him and Yujiro, trying to, him trying to steal Peter away from Yujiro and asking asking Peter if she knows what consent means and also telling her what, what in his mind, what ELP actually stands for. <laughs> and it only for her to go right back to Yujiro. Uh, Talk about Kenta. I was annoyed that he got screwed over evil. Uh, he, gave, he gives him a copy of his book, and Christian just goes, Evil can't read. <laughs> Wait, evil can't read like he's Ralph Ligham or something like that. When, imagine when Bill Clover tried to vote on decisions like, Okay, like, no, evil's vote doesn't count. He can't even read. <laughs> oh my god. It's just too Although, good. Like there was like a multi-man tie match on this tour where Dick Dog was trying to do that thing where he reaches his hand out to Evil on the stretch. No, actually, I had extra rest on a stretch for somebody, but I think it was against the FJ. The FJ then uh, reversed it, grabbed Dick Dog's arm with it and realising it, and then his stable mates grabbed Dick Dog's so he was caught in the middle. And of course, that leads to Chris and, and Kevin going, oh no, please, don't stretch Dick. <laughs> Honestly, I was losing my shit. That I was like, I was like, I, honestly, with all these Dick Togo jokes and stuff like that, I was like, if I had a drink for every time a joke was made, I would not make it out the other side of the G one. <laughs> well, like ELP getting that win in the final night, I don't, I don't think anybody could have bet on 
beating Shingo Takagi with a new finisher, the, the CR3, and then coming out the next couple of nights with his jacket saying, I'm Shingo's daddy. <laughs> I still couldn't believe that. I was like, I'm Shingo's daddy. And just going, going back to that, like that original sort of thing that he said to Shingo, it's like he doesn't even know what ELP means. In case he doesn't know, it's extremely large phallus. <laughs> Cause I loved it. I loved that he got Chris Charlton to like because he wasn't at the press conference at the start of the whole tournament. He just got Chris Charlton to read that thing, and I was in fucking tears. <laughs> I know he said like you look like Logan Paul had sex with uh, yeah, but the with snowman. I love that. Like ZSG and and just Robinson, they're openly pissing themselves. You can see David Finlay kind of covering his face, trying not to laugh. Like I shouldn't laugh at that, but that's fucking hilarious. ZSJ is fucking he's gone he's like no not this dead dead <laughs> uh, couple of other favourites that I had uh, I had also Jay White's always fantastic but you know, it was always a long shot him winning as champion Goto I was happy to see him finally get some major wins you know getting the win over Naito especially and then seeing him battle back you know he's fighting for the you know unlike Okada Goto's actually a good father because his son made a wish that his dad would win G1, become champion both New Japan and AEW. So, you know, he was doing it for his kid and he sadly, sadly just missed out on it. But I think Evil kind of screwed him out of, you know, finally making it to the to the semi-finals, and, which led to a glorious bit of backstage commentary with, with, with Goto looking in the camera and saying to his son, if you ever grow up to be like Evil, I'll fucking disown you. <laughs> That's like that is solid parenting. It's like don't even think about it, son. You will get this owned. I don't mean this in any other way. You will be dropped. <laughs> then we would. Then we would. Then we'd be all for go to drop someone drop kicking their son if they turned out to be like evil. Giving them the GTR. Yes. <laughs> like I have only one son, and his name is Yoshihashi. <laughs> Come here, son. Let's get rid of this imposter. Okay. <laughs> Don't let those mean boys tell you you look like something at a bow selector. <laughs> I, just so, really, I just really want like a Japanese bow selector now with New <laughs> Japan guys. Yeah. Like the story also, Goto's always been overconfident going the even like all the G and G1 stand for Goto, but it's not really gotten him anywhere since his first one. So, you know, now he's getting more serious and actually got him some wins, but he just fell short again this time. Also, talking about, like, first few wins, uh, something that Chris Shelton commented with Will Ospreay's loss in his first few one final, that goes one final in their first time being in the final, and now 19 people have lost in their first few one final. <laughs> oh, my God. That's unreal. No way. Yeah, it's now seven and nine G in favour of a uh, first time finalist, for the exception obviously of the first ever G one final. So it's a case of G one's a tournament, unless you're very special, you have to get knocked in a few times before you actually win it. <laughs> oh my god. <laughs> but of course I was I was at first I was looking at the able like I don't know if I'll enjoy all these like big man matches. I don't know if this is kinda of my thing. And then I realised, like, it's not big man v big man matches, and I don't like 
it's just basically whenever one of these big men went up against bad luck Fally, because <laughs> Fally is one's were the worst out of the one the whole lot because you know Jacob Jonah hell of a match you know any of them against Buddy Lance Archer was amazing but my favorite of the whole A block was without a doubt Filthy Tom Waller he lost his first two matches and then suddenly got an edge about him but you then see how heartbroken he was after he lost to Okada but of course the greatest match in the whole tournament was not through any wrestlers fighting each other it was the eternal battle of George Michael versus Boy George <laughs> honestly god I could not believe it. I was like wait a minute we're getting Boy George and George Michael in a contest I'm, also, I'm, I'm sold on this Oh. oh, and the the tag match where he gives Zach a, a record of George Michael, and then when Zach goes to put it in the corner, he brings it, pulls it out, boy George, one jets, boy George, Ichiban. And Chris Jolton had three bangers on commentary, and I will tell you about all of them. Because first off, he said, you know, you know, it's an ever change of business, Kevin. If you really want to survive, you really have to be a karma chameleon to survive here. <laughs> and then when he gets to the boy George, boy George record gets smashed across Zach's knee. He goes, you know, wow, talk about a last Christmas. <laughs> and then they, Zach has long on the ground, he's punching him. And Chris Jarton, the best of all three of them, he says, well, it would really appear that, that Zach Jr. really wants to hurt Zach. <laughs> <laughs> oh, my God. Oh. Uh, honestly, I could not contain it. I was like, he is absolutely on fucking fire with these references. <laughs> they were, I assume it was maybe Abba, but you know, knowing knowing Chris being English, he could have been an Alan Partridge reference, but they were talking, they were joking about a sign saying the knowing me, knowing you, aha. So, you know, the, the odds of Kevin Kelly knowing who Alan Partridge is are very slim. <laughs> oh my god. Uh, also love ELP and Kenta getting annoyed at some fans because they had a sign for them but then they turned it over and they had support for LIG on the other side <laughs> I thought that was hilarious and then they, they fought, saw another fan of that same seat the next night they checked it and they had both sides bullet clubs so then they two sweeted them like yeah see this is a true fan it's like see they're on our side Thank you. Too sweet. <laughs> so he's like, pick a side. Pick a side, goddammit. <laughs> no. But yeah, it's been a long and exciting, but also kind of exhausting G1. So let's talk about some, uh, let's talk about some announcements. We got Wrestle Kingdom. It's back to one night, January 4th, 2023. But that also means that New Year's Dash is back on January 5th. But if you're hard up for your two-day shows, don't worry, because Royal Quest in London is going to be across two days on October 1st and 2nd. And they also announced that there will be a show in New York towards the end of October, I think it is. A battle on 44th Street, which should be an interesting one. So, your response to Wrestle Kingdom being one night once again? Thank fuck! Like none, none of this. Let's have a faction visa faction. Then the next night, let's go and have like three, like three people from those factions going to singles matches against the people that they just fought the previous night. What is the point in that? Then leading on to a third night, which is a week later. 
against another promotion, which isn't even put on fucking live. Mm. Aye. Yeah, I, I was talking to Ross about this on Central. I don't think they gave a specific reason why it's back to one night. You know, the last time it was one night was Wrestle Kingdom 13 back in 2019 uh, when Tanahashi defeated Kenny Omega and Kenny Omega is kind of one song for New Japan. And I think it was the case of when they did the double gold dash, so they needed to be two nights. And I'm assuming COVID kind of caused them to continue doing the two nights for a couple of years. But now I feel, I feel like this is a sign that New Japan's once again returning to its kind of normal schedule with the one night and then the New Year's dash, which is kind of their best way to describe it. It's their raw after WrestleMania when you think about it. And, you know, I'm looking forward to it because hopefully that means no fowler this time. You know, every match on the show means something, but knowing them, they'll suddenly say, oh, by the way, the pre-show's going to have a ramble and three six-man tags on it. I mean, that's, I, I missed Dash, because Dash is always one of the best things, because you have no fucking idea what is going to happen. Mm-hmm. I know, like you had like Suzuki Gun return at that show, you had Moxley show up, shockingly to attack, <laughs> they attack Suzuki, and what I like about it is you get a bunch of like challenges for different people for the next big tour, which is usually no begin new beginning. And I, mean, I, I remember when was, I was going to say like you're you're rhyming off of these great matches and like even remember the the fantastic banger that was what was it uh, like Shingo and Evil against Goto and Ishii. Yeah. Ah uh, yes, remember those days where we liked Evil and he was part of Lij and wasn't an insufferable cunt. <laughs> <laughs> Ah, uh, those were the days. But you know, like I said, if you're in for, in the mood for two day New Japan shows, you got Warrior Quest. But uh, it's a bit bittersweet for you, Grant, isn't it? Don't, don't even go there. <laughs> don't even go. The one weekend that I'm in London, already booked for something, and they fucking book it the same weekend when I can't bloody go, and then they host it in Crystal Fucking Palace. No one likes Crystal Palace. Even Crystal Palace fans don't like fucking Crystal Palace. It would have been even better if they just held it in fucking Oldham. At least I would have had a reason to run on the pitch again. <laughs> God damn it, Gado. There's more to there's more to the UK than London, you bastard. <laughs> bastard. I'm turning into Jay White. Fuck! Fuck, fuck, fuck. <laughs> oh, Jesus. Oh, thank, you, thank you for that. I needed that. <laughs> so, yeah. God's a bit miffed. <laughs> well, we got Royal Quest coming up, but we did get a big announcement regarding that because, as we know, uh, New Japan is working alongside uh, Stardom to current the first ever IWGP Women's Champion which will be defending across star promotions and also in the US as part of New Japan Strong. And we've got seemingly a Japanese bracket and an international bracket. And the first matches from that international bracket will take place on the second day of Royal Quest. So not much else is known, obviously. We've got a couple other tours to go through in Japan before we get really anything uh, for an end for that show. But, you know, it's nice to see actual you know, development taking place on these kind of shows. Yeah, there is, like, there's like so many things like coming out like the 2J request and I only just realised I think we've missed yet another show which has been confirmed. I think so I mentioned just, the show in New York. No, no, there's another one. Have you have you not have you not seen Historic Crossover? 
Oh yeah, yeah. I was going to get to that, but you know, I was talking about stardom, and I was going to, I was going to lead into that. Yeah, it's, honestly, I'm just, I'm actually starting to lose my like lose plot of over what because when I when I thought cro- like the stardom crossover, I thought, wait a minute, is that just a part that's part of Royal Quest at the beginning, or am I missing something? Fuck's sake, stop doing this, Gado. Stop overloading me. Yeah, I believe uh, is that the historic crossover that the the finals of this tournament uh, for the new, for the women's championship will take place. So I also got a bunch of mixed tag team matches as well for this show and this historic crossover. Uh, I guess uh, Tom Waller has been featured on the, the show with teaming with Suri against uh, Gilia and Zack Sabre Jr. Uh, I'm gonna stop stop reading out matches because I don't know much about Stardom, so I'm gonna fuck up some of these names. But still look at the <laughs> matches; they seem solid. Oh yeah, like the the matches have got announced: Tom Lawler and Siuri, Saber and Julia, uh, Goto and Mika, Tanahashi and Haya Shishita. Uh, you know, it's just honestly, if you'd said to me like even just like going back a couple of years that we're going to get like a crossover show between Stardom and New Japan, I would have laughed at you going, "That's not happening." New Japan doesn't. New Japan doesn't let women into the arena unless they're like Pierre or Miho. Also, they're splitting up Suzuki Gun with uh, Desperado and Duke Doki having two partners from Stardom against Taiji and Kanemaru. It's just I'm like, wait, what? What is going on? Why are you putting my children against each other? <laughs> what are you thinking, man? You evil bastards! <laughs> yeah, but before we get a royal quest or the historic crossover, we do have the latest tour, which is Burning Spirit, which is uh, starting in a few days. I think only a few of the shows are actually going to be made available on New Japan World, but it's all going to be leading into the 25th of September, where we have three big title matches, which, include, which are Will Osprey defending the US title against David Finlay, Carl Anderson against Tanahashi for the Never title. And the Ass Masters getting their rematch against Akira and TJP for the IWGP Junior Tag Team titles. They're holding off on the World Title Match JYV Tanahashi until the next tour, the end of the next tour, which will be a show on October 10th called Declaration of Power. I'm not gonna lie, Burning Spirit really just sounds like the like the name of like me in Manchester on that stag do after eating nothing but chicken wings all weekend. Oh. <laughs> uh, I've never been happier not to be sharing a room with Grandma probably in my entire life. No, instead I shared a room with Count Dracula. I mean, Count Davila. Knowing <laughs> <laughs> Dave, he seems like the kind of guy who just weirdly falls asleep right away, so not even you would have time to knock him out with whatever toxic glasses coming out of your arse. I still, I, I still think we may be agreeing with it. It's, it's wild that we've got like an announcement for a match at Declaration of Power. But we don't have any match announcements for Royal Quest. Instead, all they're doing on Twitter is being like, this person's coming, and this person's coming. Just fucking tell me of them all! <laughs> fucking tell me! <laughs> fucking tell me now, yeah, but other people have to know. We got Jonah and Okada, a declaration of power as well. Uh, although not for the, uh, not for the briefcase, because Okada is a dick. So we've got two big matches confirmed for that, but still some solo matches uh, here for Burning Spirit. Carl Anderson getting to defend that title, especially against Tanahashi. 
it's always good to see Carl uh, Anderson defending. It's always good to see Carl Anderson wrestle in a singles match. And he and, uh, he and Doc Gallows had a match in the finals against Tanahashi and David Finlay. And they said it's their first two on two tag match in Japan since February of 2016. That's good. I was, I was like, wait, how long? No way. <laughs> Can't be. I is. But then you've also got Bloody Yeah, I know getting involved, constantly trying to hit him in the balls, trying to annoy Doc Gallows any chance he gets. The backstage comments after they both got hit in the balls by yeah, I know. Like I mean, do you not know that the that the big LG's got small tiny balls? He is very sensitive about his ever shrinking scrotum. <laughs> Honestly, that, that, that's one thing I missed was I've, I've so missed the Good Brothers being let loose in backstage promos in Japan because it is always fucking gold. Uh, you got, like, he's got bloody... Carl uh, Anderson's got a bloody bullet club thing over this, over he's never built and everything. I mean, I'm, I'm intrigued because they were trying to, they were planning on making a triple threat before you know, David Finley, before Just Robinson said Oh, by the way, I need to pull out because you know my appendix might burst. <laughs> uh, so I'm surprised they didn't try and book a triple threat match for this tour, like just David and Will Osprey for the US title. But maybe they'll, they'll hold off on Will versus just sit either to clear ship or maybe they'll even do, go all the way to the dome for that. That's I mean, it's there's so much they can do there, and like the, the good thing is they're not rushing some of this. Like let it breathe, give us a chance. Build it for the dome. Mm-hmm. Uh, this is a weird one because it's one of the last points we got. But I didn't mean for it to be at the end here, but I'm looking at some of the matches for the the tour leading into Burning Spirit, and uh, there's another name teaming with members of United Empire. Or he's either teaming with like Akira and TJP, or there are other nights where he's teaming with like Okan and Jeff Cobb, Gideon Gray. Like, Will Osprey tease a new member of the United Empire. As I said, you could give me a hundred guesses, and that's not the name I would have came up with. I know, like, like I get like storyline wise why it works because like Gideon Gray was the Great Okan's handler who kind of started the whole Empire stuff. Uh, well, he called it the the Legion in Rev Pro. But it's a very, very odd choice of everyone that they could have went for. I really was, I was so hoping that they were actually going to go for the uh, the new Rev Pro title holder, Ricky Knight Jr. I thought that would have been a fucking coup d'état, coup d'état that, like, because apparently New Japan are interested in them. But no, we're getting Gideon Gray. Yeah, like, as they said, oh, he's, well, we went, that's a surprise, stay tuned for that. I thought, I thought oh, there'll be a big angle, like, I like Royal Quest to reveal a new UK wrestler like you said, Ricky Knight Jr. or even bloody, even uh, bloody bring back Gabriel Kidd to be part of the group. But, you know, just the fact that he's an intel, by the way, in this tour, Kidney and Grace here, and he's teaming with the Empire. So I'm assuming he's a new member now. But, like, you look at him, especially since now he's got no hair. I look at Gideon Gray, I think, yeah, have you ever watched a children's program made in like the late 90s, early 2000s that, that has a very mean looking headmaster? That's what Gideon Gray looks like. It does. Yeah, yeah, yeah. He does look like he's he's gonna really like give you a strong telling off when you went to school at Biker Grove. <laughs> he walks into <laughs> a room and constantly has. <laughs> he always has 
He always has a look on his face like he's just smelled a really terrible fart. So God so knows he, what would happen if he spent five minutes in your presence. I'd better say so. He's in the same room as me. <laughs> oh, Jesus. I imagine you'd be his least fucking favourite person ever you met him. Oh, yeah, definitely. Without a doubt. <laughs> oh, Jesus. So there. There you go. Uh, I think that's just about everything else from uh, New Japan. We did have some stuff in the US. So one, there are a few uh, shows in the US that they've held recently that I want to go back and check out because it looks like there's some still a match. Like that show they did in Nashville, SummerSlam, you can have not checked out. But you know, I want to see, obviously, Desperado versus Moxley, uh, Alex Zade and FTR, Kent's, I think it was United Empire or something like that. So that sounds like a hell of a match. Uh, they recently crowned the, the first ever strong open weight tag champs with Aussie Open, seeing one of the obvious winners taking the belts, defeating, I believe, it was Yuamura and Christopher Daniels in the final. Yeah, and I'll be honest, like I, I shared it in the in the chat the other day. Even though it's not an, a New Japan matchup, but it's still Aussie Open, the the strong champs, and I'm sure you'll be wanting to watch this as much as me. Aussie Open against Motor City Machine Guns. Well, yes, hook it, hook it up to my veins, hook it up to my veins. Like, that <laughs> is the... unreal. Someone is going to die from getting their head chopped off. Oh, I, I really, really not can't wait. I think the Good Brothers are also on that same taping, that same day, I met a fight like Taven and Bennett for the tag belts, and then I have a feeling they're losing those belts so that the, the Good Brothers can be freed up to rock more in Japan as we get closer to World Tag League, but Aussie Open, man, they've They've got a hell of a last couple of weeks, haven't they? Because they won the, the the strong tag belts. They've already defended them at a strong taping recently. It hasn't aired yet, but they took on the Minnesota wreck. They took on Royce Isaacs and Jarrell Nelson. They defend the titles against Destination Everywhere at a recent Red Pro show. And uh, we're recording this on Tuesday, but by the time you hear this, uh, a few days later, it will already have happened. But this week on Dynamite, them and Will Osprey are fighting but a death triangle in the trios tournament. So, fucking those boys, boys are getting about in bloody fair play to Will Osprey after a big long tournament, after he had big tape across his back, his back and neck during his G1 final match. He then went to the UK, lost his rare pro belt, and now he's flying over to America to fight bloody death triangle. Yeah, that was, it was like, I'm, I'm like, these boys are really fucking, they, they are going all over the place they are going big time with it and that, that, that honestly that trios match against death triangle i defy anyone not to be excited for that that, that is going to be like in the ring because that is going to be insane i mean there's no real losers no matter what way it goes but i'm kind of rooting for the for united empire because given the side of the bracket though and if i'm right and i believe i am if united empire win they'll go on to fight the elite. And, you know, especially given the recent comments that Will Osprey has made about Kenny Omega calling him a bitch because he, he threw it off that because of Osprey accidentally concussing Ibushi that Ibushi couldn't come out and celebrate with Omega before he left for, for AEW. Just basically like, I want to see these two fucking bad each other because God knows with the punk stuff, we've not got enough of people real life hating each other in AEW. I know, like, that. that is... Wait, I, I'm, I'm like, I wonder what it must be like sitting backstage in AEW some of these times lately. And I can just imagine because Osprey is not known for being able to keep his mouth shut, and Omega, <laughs> Omega always defends himself as well. So 
that is going to be fucking beautiful. <laughs> to, to, get, to contrast that with some people who are actually getting along in AEW, something that was weirdly wholesome was a clip from because yeah, Death Triangle cut a promo on the last week's Dynamite, you know, basically calling out Aussie Open ahead of their uh, ahead of the trios match, and it's a clip of some of a uh, Pat getting like psyched up before the promo, and you know, Pat is saying something in Spanish, and you know, kind of patting on the back, and back and he's big jerks, and right, let's fucking go. <laughs> <laughs> or or Hangman backstage in, in the clip that's been going about from the, I think being the elite. Like, yeah. I want to see more fire, more fucking sex. It's like, pardon? <laughs> and I think a guy pops his head, and, you know, punks in the ring, like, get out, get out, we're busy. <laughs> it's like, punks in the ring, he's calling you out, to get the fuck out. <laughs> I really want to see Osprey and Pac again next time. I want to see Pac come over to New Japan with that all Atlantic belt, or have him come, come back over to Red Pro and fight Osprey for the all Atlantic belt, because, you know, Osprey is connecting, collecting country-related belts. He's got the rib. He was the the British champion then. Now he's the US champion. He's just going after belts with countries or continents in the name. See, I, I love this. I, I love the idea. I know your brother's not the most keen on how they're doing the Atlantic belt, but I like the the idea of it getting defended all across the world in different indie promotions because they still put the matches up for free to watch on dark and that, so anyone can watch them. And it builds up something a little bit different so that when it comes into like a big title match on a pay-per-view, it's like this belt has been defended so many places against so many contenders. It's got a good bit of prestige built behind it. I think Ross has been an issue with it because Pac's on his draft team and this is me and Pac has not been on Dynamite. <laughs> so I'm assuming, Ross, I'm assuming Ross will greatly be in the corner of Death Triangle for this trios match so we can get some fucking points on his team. But that's a discussion for a different show on this network. That's for Saturday Draft Live, it comes out every Saturday. And you see Super Place Retreat podcasts and feed. Alongside many other shows, like a, a feature show that comes out weekly. We've not had one this week, but don't worry, we've got some solid shows coming in the next couple of weeks. Last week, we had Quiz Showdown, that made a return, looking at the best of WB in the UK. We've got ESSR Central with a special Tuesday edition this week. And we're going to have, uh, I'm going to probably be hosting the next couple of episodes because Ross is buggered off on yet another fucking holiday. Uh, and you also got East Beats West, which comes out on a, on a monthly, sometimes twice monthly basis. And trust me, you're going to want to stay tuned for East Meets West when December comes around because you're not going to be disappointed with that. But you can also follow us, like, give us a like, rate, review on your platform of choice. We're on Anchor, Spotify, iTunes, wherever you choose to get your podcast. You can keep up with the latest content going on each week's Super Retweet. You can follow us on Twitter, Facebook, Instagram at Super Retweet. You can join our Facebook community page, get involved in the conversation. Join our listeners league for our fantasy draft. Potentially get slid off every week by us. But again, we knew going in this would be a hefty show. We've been here for over an hour and a half, and you know we finally made it to the end. And I think you know with the potential not just from people outside spending more time in Japan, but with what's been set up through this G1 and what could come at Wrestle Kingdom and Royal Quest, it's uh it's once again an exciting time in New Japan. Oh yeah, it's definitely an exciting thing. I really also have to thank you, and amongst the plugs for specifying that Saturday Draft Live comes out on a Saturday, otherwise I would have got lost and looked for it on a Sunday. <laughs> well, this is a week where every, well, every other show this week is not coming out in the day it usually comes out, so people need to know that Saturday Draft Live still comes out on a Saturday. Of course. <laughs> but yeah, this has been, you know, G1 season. 
we've been we've been stowed out. I mean, that was pretty much twenty two nights of wrestling we had to watch in the space of a month, which is mm-hmm. fucking unreal, really. I I struggled to keep up at one point mainly because certain devices weren't allowing me to watch New Japan World for some reason because I was apparently a dick in a past life. And then I thought you could get through this faster if you start watching the pre match, you know, the you know, preview tag matches, but. Then some weird combinations came up with guys that weren't even boxed. Like, I may not get another chance to see this. I want to watch this. And thankfully I did, because where else would I get to see an argument between two wrestlers fighting over who's better between Boy George and Boy George Michael? God, we should put a poll up about that. Who is better, George Michael or Boy George? Oh, yes. Nobody's going to... The context will be lost on 80% of the people who take part in it. But, you know, I want to see some actual musical debates going off you yeah. <laughs> oh yeah that, that's definitely that's going to get community yeah, engagement that you have people who will believe on one side and they'll have faith in it and the other people who will be offended because they're on the other side wondering if the other people really want to hurt them so it'll be a hell of a question let us know on Twitter Facebook or Instagram who you prefer Boy George or George Michael thank you everyone for tuning in to another episode of East Meets West we'll be back once, once that burning spirit clears up and we're ready for a declaration of power. Bye-bye. There now follows an enthusiastic advertisement for Quiz Showdown. Hello guys, welcome to Quiz Showdown. I'm Daniel Campbell, and in this show you're going to see the members of the Eat Sleep Suplex retweet team go through a very strange quiz. We don't know what the heck's going on with it, but you're going to have to watch to find out. Go check out on the YouTube channel now. That was an enthusiastic advert for Quiz Showdown.